Now we're going to read the Bible this morning. We're turning to um, 1 Timothy at chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now as you know I was off last week. Um, part of the, the birthday celebration. And um, I, I must confess while I had um, the Snight sermon two weeks ago tucked up in my head, I was struggling to find a message for this morning. And uh, I'm thankful that the Lord has given me something that I feel will be helpful and beneficial to me, but also to the church here. Trying to follow on from last Lord's Day, and we appreciate the ministry of Dr. McElveen. We're, we're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and it says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Let's read the word of God. Follow with me if you can in your Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from each which God hath created to receive the thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, I shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness." For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. And it says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And my theme today, based in this text of Scripture, is entitled, The Pursuit of Godliness. 
Now, these words form part of the Apostle Paul's advice and counsel to young Timothy. The Apostle Paul has gone to Macedonia, and he has left Timothy in Ephesus to be the pastor of the church there and sort out and set in order some of the many problems that he is facing. And we read in the scriptures, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. That's how I know that Paul was in Macedonia and Timothy was left as the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now, Timothy had become discouraged. Timothy, in fact, I believe, was ready to quit and throw in the towel. And the apostle Paul writes to him from Macedonia and he wants to exhort this young man to, to stay where he is. He, he advises him to stir up the gift that God has given to him. He, he counsels him to preach the word in season and out of season. Even when they don't want to hear sound doctrine, he's to be faithful to the blood in the book. And whenever Paul comes to chapter 4, remember he's guided and led by the Holy Spirit, he warns him about the last days. In fact, he tells him something about the characteristics of the last days. Now, remember, these are the days and the times in which Timothy has to minister. What do we read there in chapter 4? Some shall depart from the faith. Why? Because they're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're starting to speak lies and hypocrisy. They're forbidding to marry. They're... Um, Commanding that people have to abstain from certain mates. And I want you to notice the order here. Think of these who are departing from the faith. So, so they're leaving the church. And they're under the spell and influence of seducing spirits. And they've embraced, Paul says, the doctrines of devils. You see, the fault at the start has to do with their belief. They're departing from the faith. They're under the spell and influence of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And because they're at a fault with their beliefs, then now there's a fault with their behavior. And I want you to remember, young people, and here's something very important. What we believe always affects how we behave. Now, if you could grasp that, that's something that would stand you in good stead as you live out your, your Christian life. What we believe always affects how we behave. Think of Paul's words here to Timothy in verse 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And then he adds two great pieces of advice wise counsel. Look at verse 7. But refuse profane and old wives' fables. That's the first thing. In other words, refuse everything that's evil and corrupt. That which the heathen profess because it's profane. And also refuse old wives' fables that have their origin in man-made ideas and man-made philosophy. Refuse all false doctrine, even if it comes from the heathen, even if it's rooted in the Jewish religion of old wives' fables. 
And then here's what he wants them to do. Exercise thyself rather rather unto godliness. Now notice this very personal message. Here's something that Timothy's not to do. A, a very strong negative. Timothy, I don't want you to do this. Don't embrace profane and old wives' fables. Rather, refuse them. Re reprove them. And now here's, Timothy, what I want you to do. This is a very strong positive. Timothy, do this. Timothy, this is vital. This is important. This is necessary. Timothy, I want you to remember that as you live out your Christian life in the last days, you must make every effort in the pursuit of godliness. That must be a top priority in your life. You're to be an example to all in the congregation. Here's how that others are to see you in your life, in your circumstances, in your situation, in your dealing with others. Listen to verse 15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. You see, I have no doubt that this applies specifically to Timothy. We could narrow the focus onto this young man who was discouraged as a pastor and ready to quit. But you know, it also applies, I believe, to every true child of God. Whoever you are this morning, whatever you do, regardless of your station in life, let you be a farmer. Uh, maybe you're just a housewife. Maybe you're saying, but I'm a factory worker. Uh, maybe I'm a joiner. I'm a bricklayer. Um, I I'm a manager. I I'm a car salesman. Remember, if you're a born-again believer... And you profess to have a personal walk with God. And as you think of that, remember as you walk with God, you're to do something, and this is what you're to do. You're to exercise yourself in the pursuit of godliness. Think of these words. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself unto godliness. I was thinking from last week and you were here and you heard Dr. McElveen preach that excellent message about not to meddle with the things of God. And I was saying, Lord, uh, give me something that I can follow on from that. Uh, and and I, I struggled, I must confess, and it wasn't until yesterday morning that the words came, exercise thyself unto godliness. I've been thinking of the words of living a godly life and this thought came exercise thyself unto godliness as if the Lord was speaking personally to me and saying, David, this is what I want for you and carry off. I, I want you to exercise thyself unto godliness. So, so that's what we're going to think about this morning. Now, three things very quickly. Think of the meaning of godliness. Let's underline the word godliness. I'm going to ask a question. What does the word godliness mean? How do you and I define it? When we take the word godliness into our mind, what do we think of? Well, do you know that the word godliness is used 15 times in the New Testament? It is. And 10 of these times are found in 1 and 2 Timothy. These pastoral letters that Timothy wrote to advise and counsel young Timothy. Let's just go through the references. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. If you have got your Bible there, look at chapter 2 verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Chapter 2 verse 10. 
but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Chapter 3, verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed all in the world, received up into glory. The text that we're thinking about, 1 Timothy 4 and 7, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Look at chapter 6 and verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Look at chapter 6 and verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness, he says in 1 Timothy 6 and 6, with contentment is great gain. Come to verse 11 of the same chapter. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Do, do you see the repeated reference? Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think it's verse 5. Yes, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. You see, 10 times out of the 15 references, the word godliness is used in First and Second Timothy. But what does it mean? Well, well, let me just try and tease it out a little bit. If I put it in the English language for you, I believe it means a respect and a reference for God of the things of God. If I was to boil it all down and put it in a little phrase, it would be this, having the fear of God or a fear of God. Remember the dying thief asked his friend, dost thou not fear God? The fear of God is a tremendous subject. And I remember years ago, the Lord showing me a reference about the fear of God. Listen to these words. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself. And let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. Think of the fear of God. Remember what we read there in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 9, and in the uh, verse 10, a statement about the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. You see, what does the fear of God involve? It involves a dread of offending him, of displeasing him, because he's the living and the true God. And it also means a awe and a reference for him. And if we could capture that this morning, I believe that that encompasses the meaning of the word godliness. Exercise thyself unto godliness. What does that mean? It means having a respect and a reverence for the things of God because you have got a dread of offending him, of displeasing him, and you live in awe and reverence of him. You desire then to live a life of holiness. You want a walk that pleases God. You want to have a testimony 
that pleases God. Think of Enoch walking with the Lord, having a testimony that pleased him. Think of Noah, who, who out of fear, fear of the Lord, because he was walking with God, built an ark to the saving of his house. Now, now let me state it this morning. This is not something we have on ourselves. We're not born with a quest for a holy life or a walk with God. In fact, the opposite is true. Remember, we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We're born without God, without Jesus Christ, without hope. We're born without a, a true knowledge of him. In fact, we're born with our backs to God. And what do we need as we journey through life? Well, we need to be born again. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus? Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. The new birth, being, being born from above. Having the experience of the new birth, the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates us, makes us alive to our sin, of our need of a saviour, the fact that we've got a soul, and, and, and creates that desire and thought within us that we, we want to be, belong to him. We want to receive him. And of course, the Holy Spirit uh, not only regenerates us, but comes into our hearts and lives and, and dwells within us. You see, Christians are not only born of the Spirit. A true Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That individual's body has now become the temple of the Holy Ghost. And then we're led and guided by the Holy Spirit. And we're enabled to pray through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we can be filled with the Spirit. In fact, as the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, what a lot of people forget today is everyone who professes that they're born again of the Holy Spirit is professing that they're regenerated. That is, that they're, they're made a, a new person to live a holy life unto God. Now, this life of godliness, this... Uh, Spirit of holiness, if we call it that, that's not the ground of our salvation. We're not saved because we're living a life of holiness or, or professing a, 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 a godliness unto the Lord. Remember, we're saved, as the Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But once you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, once you're born again of the Holy Spirit and, and put into Christ in a spiritual sense, by virtue of being in union with Christ, the very principle of holiness is placed within us. Remember, he has died to save us from our sins. In fact, this is one of the reasons why he came into the world. Remember, thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's what the angel Gabriel told Joseph. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. And the Lord Jesus died on the cross to save us from sin's penalty. But he also died to save us from sin's power. He breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. He, he died to save us from sin's pleasure. He takes the love of sinning out of our hearts. We, we have no love for sin. We have no delight for sin. We, we hate and mourn our sin. Oh yes, we sin against the Lord in thought and word and deed because we're not perfect. Remember that? We're not like Mr. Perfect. That's only a, a made-up story. But because we're not perfect, we, we realize our sin and imperfection. And we live in light of that day that one day, having been saved from sin's penalty and the power broken and the love of sinning taken out of our hearts, one day we'll be saved from sin's very presence. But until that day, 
We're on a journey. And our, as part of that journey, we're to exercise ourselves unto godliness. We're, we're to have a pursuit of godliness. We're to, to strive for a holy life. Our motto is to be holiness unto the Lord. And that's the fruit and the evidence that we're born again of the Holy Spirit. Over in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, there's a tremendous verse of scripture, one that I confess I struggle to get my head round. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And you see, John was right. Everyone that Christ justifies, he also sanctifies. He, he stamps within them this principle of holiness. And that individual then will live a life of progressive sanctification. And he'll, he'll, he'll die more and more on the sin and live more and more on the righteousness. Now, as Christians, we're not all at the same level in our spiritual walk with God. We're not all at the same stage in relation to, to godliness and holiness. We're all at different stages. In fact, if you read the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he wrote to children. He, he wrote to young men. He, he, he wrote to fathers. Why? Because he recognized that believers are all at different stages in their work, walk with God. But, but the work has begun. The principle has been put within them. That they're now new creatures in Christ and they're under construction. And they're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I believe that every true believer this morning will have a strong, intimate desire to know God personally. The text above the door as you come in from the porch says, Be still and know that I am God. God can be known and you can know him better. You can know him deeper. You can know him in a, in a stronger way. Does the Bible not say, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ is thou whom thou hast sent. You see, it's not just knowing about him, but it's knowing him. One of the best books that I ever read as a young Christian was entitled Knowing God by a man called J.I. Packer. And I know he's gone off the rails of late but it was still a tremendous book, knowing God. And as we know God, then we can worship him correctly. Isn't there a worship today that's corrupt? But there's also a worship that's correct. A worship that God won't accept and a worship that God will accept. Remember, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That is, we must not only be wholehearted, but we must be energized by the Spirit of God based on the truth of the Scriptures. So we have a reverence and respect for God and the things of God. When we think about worship, that's what you're doing this morning because you're having a respect and a reverence for the Lord's day. And, and as you present yourselves to the Lord in the Lord's day, then you're, you're thinking of a worship that is correct. But there's also a walk that's circumspect. Doesn't the Bible talk about walking worthy of the calling that we've received in Christ? Do you know that word circumspect in the Bible has to do with a tightrope walker? How does he walk? He walks by putting one foot in front of the other. And every step is carefully thought about. Well, that's how we're to walk. You see, many walk as enemies of the gospel. Paul talked about them in the letter to the Philippines. What about working for him courageously? Here am I, Lord, use me. 
What about witnessing for him carefully? Not only by our words, but the very life that we live. Isn't that not always the charge of many who are unsaved this morning? And, and I get phone calls, maybe not on a weekly basis, but, a, but at least on a monthly basis. And someone wants to complain about some other Christian, what they have said or done about them. And, and then the thought is, well, what are you going to do about it, Mr. McLaughlin? And, and of course, I, I tell them I'm going to pray. And then I, I speak to them that, you know, as we witness, it must be our life and lip that witnesses that the two go together. And, and sadly, many open their mouths, really, before they put their brain into gear because they're not thinking about their actions as well as their pronouncements. So, so there's the meaning of godliness. I believe it's, a, it's a, a, a respect and a reverence for God and the things of God that, that's rooted in a deep fear of God. The dread of offending and displeasing him and having a known reverence for him that you, you aspire a, a life of holiness. And that's just the meaning. I want you to think secondly of the mandate for a life of godliness. Notice it says in our text, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Underline the word exercise. See, the word exercise has to do with the gym. Maybe there's somebody here who goes to the gym. You're not, not gym in a Christian name, um, G-Y-M. You see the word exercise there, young people? It has to do with gymnastics. And you could think about a gymnast. And you could think about all the training and all the effort of discipline that goes into the life of the gymnast with the aim and the goal of attaining the top prize of, of getting the gold medal or, or, or competing to win. You think of those in the local Greek games as Paul was conscious of. And did you know that the Olympic games that we hold today all over the world are rooted in the Greek-Grecian games? Because while they had local towns that had local games and people competed in all sorts of things, they also had then in the Greek world, the Grecian Empire, they had the Olympic Games. And they had boxing and wrestling and running and jumping. And there were so many people competing with all of this goal that they wanted to win the prize. And of course the top prize was wearing a laurel wreath. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. See, think of our lifestyle in a spiritual sense. And ask yourself, what is our motivation or, or what is our mandate for godliness? And here's the answer. We have a responsibility to God. Do you know if you're born of the Holy Spirit this morning, you're not your own. This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, if you're born again, you belong to him. You're his. And because you're his and you realize, well, he has sought me as a sinner... And he has bought me with the precious blood. And he has called me to himself. And, and he teaches me. And you see, remember he's, the Lord Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. 
And if we claim to be his and claim to be love him, then we need to listen, do what he says. The motto of the Old Testament high priest was holiness unto the Lord. And you see, God's purpose for us is made abundantly clear. Think of these words in Titus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Redeem us from all iniquity. Does sin bother you? Do you know sin bothers me? My thoughts, my words, and my deeds. And he has told us in the scriptures, if you think of this other reference, in 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it's in the verse uh, 15, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, listen to these words. But as he which hath called you as holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, the word conversation means your lifestyle, it's not just your words, it's your walk, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And that's a quotation from Leviticus 11, verse 44. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And, and there's his command for us. God has told us to be holy. We're, we're called to a life of holiness. We're to abstain from all appearance of evil. We're, we're to flee fleshly lusts at war against the soul. We're to flee fornication. And you see, how could we not live a godly life or aspire to holiness if we claim to be his? If he has sought us out, called us to himself, bought us with his precious blood, uh, now that we belong to him, we're his and, and our bodies are his and he is teaching us and he's given us this instruction. Be ye holy for I am holy. See, he has provided all we need. He's given us these precepts. He's given us many promises. Has he not promised to be with us? No, I'm with you always. Has he not promised to help us? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Has he not said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you? You see, here's his mandate. We have a responsibility to him. Fill your heart and mind with this thought. This is God's will for me. And I must strive to know him. And I must strive to understand something of the holiness of God. That God is intrinsically perfect. And only God is perfectly holy. And this perfect God hates sin and loves righteousness. And as one of his children, I must also hate sin and love righteousness. And therefore, if you do that, you'll reject the world's view of sin. The world has a view of you living out your life. And you reject the world's view. And you rejoice in and receive the Lord's view of life. The Lord's view of sin. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you want to be wise, young people, then set your heart to fear the Lord. Because knowledge of him is, is, is understanding. See, we don't measure ourselves by the standards of the world. But we measure ourselves by the standard of the word of God. We have a knowledge of God. We, we have a knowledge of Jesus Christ, the only perfect man who ever lived. Remember, he is called the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Who's called the mystery of godliness? 
The Lord Jesus. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. Here's our mandate. We have a responsibility to God who has paid a price for us and bought us with the precious blood and we're actually his. We profess to be his. And I believe we also have a responsibility to ourselves. Think of this word exercise. Think of the gymnast. You see, there must be a seeking after a life of godliness. One of the commentators has made this statement. Train up thyself in a holiness of heart and life with the utmost labor and diligence. Train up thyself in holiness of heart and life with the utmost labor and discipline. In other words, it becomes a way of life. And you and I know something about our true selves. We know all about our propensity to sin. We know about our inward remaining corruption. And we don't treat it casually. We don't treat it lightheartedly. We, we, we don't have a, a flip-flop attitude, but, but we give attention to it. And, and we make considerable effort if we're going to make spiritual progress in the Christian life. As I've said, we must learn to die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness. Until the day we're free from all temptation and sin. Now, we're not there yet. Paul says, I die daily. But, but this was the mandate. There's a mandate, we're to exercise, we're to do this, we're to make every effort, we're to strive, we're to agonize. And let me close with this thought. Because I'm only scratching the surface here, in the sense I'm only getting warmed up. So I've given you the meaning, what I believe it is. I've given you the mandate, we're to exercise ourselves, because we have responsibility toward God and ourselves. But think of the marks of godliness. Now, think of the context. And I want to just give you three thoughts as we finish. Follow with me. A sensible diet. Notice the words here, verse 6, But if I put the brethren in remembrance of these things, I should be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Now, you see, an athlete must eat well. Somebody has said, You are what you eat. And Paul said to Timothy, nourish up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. You see, Paul was reminding Timothy that the Bible was his food for his soul. And he must read and study the Bible if he's going to live a godly life and say no to sin. Psalm 1. The godly man, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, and if you think of this, there was food to avoid here, Paul says to Timothy, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. Do, do you see that? Reject these. Reject the things that you read in many books. They're the philosophies and ideas of man. It's man's view of life. Reject the things that you see, especially from the television and the films. They're the production of Hollywood. Don't feed your mind or fill your thoughts on these things. Because remember, you are what you eat. Maybe I should ask the question, what do you and I think of when we're alone? When nobody sees us but God? Do we read and study our Bible? How much spend time do we spend maybe with the TV or on the internet or on the phone? You see, 
there's a lot of things today that is the world's view of life, not God's view of life. And we're not going to find God's view of life on the television or, or in the internet or, 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 or in, in, in many books of the world. We're, we're going to find it only in the book of life. There's a wee story told about the pink flamingos. I must confess, I, I like the pink flamingos. And I've often wondered, well, why they're pink? Well, somebody said, well, that's the way God made them, and that's true. But did you know that the pink flamingos eat algae from the lake? And that algae, apparently, is the same substance that's found in carrots. And it's that algae that gives them the pink glow. You see, they are what they eat. There's a story told about a little girl who drank two or three litres of some sort of orange juice every day and her skin started turning orange and her mother took her to the doctor and said, Doctor, something wrong. My child's turning to be an orange colour. The doctor discovered, well, she was drinking loads of this orange juice and he told her to stop and eventually, of course, her, her skin came back to its natural colour. There's things to avoid. Avoid profane and old wives' fables. But then, of course, there's a, there's a food to partake of. And to be at the best, the athlete realizes there's things that I must not eat and there's things that I must eat. There has to be a, 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 a sensible diet. Could I suggest as well as we hurry on, there's a strict discipline. Think of this word exercise again. I told you it has to do with the gym. And we're told here in the verse 8, but bodily exercise is profit of little. But it's not useless. It does profit a little. And there's those who go to the gym so that their body's in peak condition. And, and the athletes, of course, do it because they want to win a prize. And if we think of our bodies as the temple of God, then we want to look after our temples. And if you want to run or, or take a cycle or, or go for a walk, I, I just go for a walk. I don't do any running because um, th th that's hard work. But we're to do it daily. We're to do it continually. We're, we're, we're to do it with the mindset that I'm doing this unto the Lord. You see, if an athlete misses his training, he or she knows it. And if they miss too many days training, the coach knows it. And if they miss more, then the spectators know it. There's something wrong with them in whatever athletic sport it is. And you see, we, we should discipline ourselves, make every effort to, to read our Bible every day. I'm told that the average person spends 25 hours with the TV. Well, well I wouldn't encourage you to do that. 20 hours with the mobile Many hours in the internet. But how many hours do we spend, even one hour, with our Bible? How many hours do we spend in prayer? What about the discipline of tithing? Do you know, somebody said to me today, oh, I, you get people to go to church because you want the church to get money. The church needs money, so you want people to come in. I, I want to tell you that, that that's not the case. Could I just encourage you to turn over there? I know it's late. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 14. Look with me at verse 23. Remember what I've said about godliness. Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God 
in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn and of thy wine and of thy oil and the firstlings of thy herd and of thy flocks. Why? Because the church needs money? No. That thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. You see, it's a, it's, it's a discipline. Along with reading our Bible and offering prayer, we, we, we tithe because we do it in love to the Lord out of fear for him. And also, when it comes to witnessing. You see, there's a strict discipline that's necessary. And we must do it daily and constantly and continually. And could I close with this? Here's another mark. There's a spiritual desire. Notice the words, exercise thyself rather unto godliness, but godliness is profitable unto all things. You see, there has to be a desire. And if you have a desire and a drive, then that's part and parcel of one of the marks towards godliness. He, he, he shed his blood for me. And what motivates me is I'm his. And I have a desire for him. And I have to make a choice. It has to do with my mind. He's the living and the true God. He rules and reigns in the heavens. I'm accountable to him. He's my Lord and Redeemer. He's my heavenly Father. I've got the joy and the privilege of knowing him. I'm in a relationship with him. I'm in fellowship with him. And, and, and the key to a life of true happiness is connected to holiness. Holiness is the way to a life of true happiness. And it was Edwards that said, Lord, stamp eternity in my two eyeballs. Another missionary said, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. See, you're not going to lose your life if you hand it over to Christ. You're going to save your life. The Lord says, I'll save your life. I'll use your life. I'll use your life to bring glory and honor to me. Wasn't it Moses who gave up all the treasures of Egypt because he had respect? To the recompense of reward. He lived in light of eternity. And we have to make a choice as you live your life. Are you going to live for the Lord? Or are you just going to live for self? There has to be. A sensible diet. A strict discipline. But there has to be that spiritual desire. And that's part and parcel of the mark. For a life of godliness. And I pray this morning the Lord will help me and help you that we might exercise ourselves unto this kind of life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being so patient this morning.